Good, good morning. Oh, it's so good to worship with you today. Real quick, uh, so uh, I remember when Pastor Stefan first came in, right, from, we were, we were interviewing him. I was on the ministerial committee, and it's our job to examine candidates before they, they enter our presbytery. And Pastor Stefan uh, had a fantastic interview. And, and not just that, it was funny, I always had an inkling, but I never knew how wonderful it would be that when he came to Manoa here, um, very quickly, uh, the Lord just started revitalizing this church, and before you knew it, you guys won the Bart Hess Award. Do you guys remember that? And it just seems that God is doing something very special here. He's using not just Pastor Stefan, who is a fantastic pastor, but Ron. I met Ron, too. We worked together for a little bit to try to uh, talk about ordination. He's a fantastic pastor, fantastic person, and it seems your praise team, everything here, the people have been so friendly it makes me see images of exactly what we're talking about, a kingdom of God where every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and it shows in simple ways such as kindness. And that's what I, I consistently found here at this church amongst your officers, your people, your praise team, everything, right? Okay, so... Um, uh, I'll talk about the church plant later. Right now, I, I just want to talk about Jesus. Is that okay? All righty. Uh, here, so I'm going to set up this sermon then. Um, I'm going to pray in a second, and I need you to pray with me, right? When I was younger, I grew up in a very violent and abusive home, right? And I remember this one time, I was in grade school, I grew up Roman Catholic, and in grade school, I remember one day I decided to tell my, my parish priest about what was going on at home. So I went to the confessional, and I, I mustered up the courage to tell him. And he asked me, would you like to, me to come to your home and talk to your father? And I said, oh, please, Father, could you come do that for me? That would really, really help. So he came over that day, and he spoke to my dad. But after talking with my dad, he sided with my dad and his parenting practices. And that night was not a very good night for me, right? So what had happened here was that a person that I was hoping was going to fight for me ended up not fighting, did exactly the opposite, right? And that affected my ability to speak. Like, so it's whether I'm writing a paper or whether I'm giving a speech. And Lord, Lord, Lord's funny in that. He called me to be a pastor, so I have to preach like every week, right? You see, there's something inside me that got inside my heart that day that said, if I just explained it better, if I just learned how to speak more clearly and more persuasively, maybe the outcome would have been different, right? And, and what happens is that affected me now for how many decades has it it's been since then, right? So it still happens. So what I'm going to tell you to do is, is this is what I do, and if you could do this with me. I'm going to say a series of things, like the Lord is my salvation, and I want you to say amen, right? I'm going to say like two or three things like that. I do this all the time. Every single time I get nervous because I have to preach or something like that, right? Okay, so, and then I'm going to pray and then we're, we're going to begin, right? So what I'd like you to do with me, can you take a deep breath? Let it out, all right? One more time. Take a deep breath. The Lord is our breath of life. Amen. amen. The Lord is our strength and our song. Amen. 
The Lord is our salvation. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for being our salvation, our fighter. God, you fight for us. And help us, Lord, to see that, that in today's passage, help us to see just how much you do fight. And how much do you see that that you are faithful where the world is unfaithful, where sometimes our leaders can be unfaithful, sometimes our own family can be unfaithful. You are always faithful. Never will you leave us. Never will you forsake us. You will always be with us even till the end of the age. And so help us, Lord, then to be able to see you here in the message that we give here, in the songs that we sing, that at the end of the day, people will be filled with a spirit that doesn't cry out for violence, but cries out, Abba, Father. Help us, Lord, then, to see you here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's start here. So, life in this world is hard, right? You didn't need a pastor to tell you that. That's just reality. And if you think about it, this is kind of why a lot of people do bad things, right? They do all sorts of hurtful things. They lie, they cheat, they fight, they steal, right? And many of these, many people do these things simply because they're trying to get by in a life that is too hard to live through nicely, right? So there are many ways that people fight through the hardship of life. Some are violent. They literally fight through life, right? Some are thieves. They steal what they believe is too hard to earn, or they cheat because they do not believe anyone will show them grace where they fall short. And so uh, there's a story in the Bible about Jacob, right? Jacob. um, And Jacob, if you know it, um, his name in Hebrew is Yaakov. And in Hebrew, that name, Yaakov, it could either mean to grab the heel, but it also sounds like the Hebrew word for deceiver. See, both of those meanings actually describe Jacob if you read his story. Whenever Jacob faces a problem or hardship in life, he cheats his way through by lying and deceiving people. So Jacob was the younger of two brothers. When his father Isaac was on his deathbed, Jacob tricked Isaac into giving him his brother's birthright inheritance, even though Jacob was not the oldest son. And so what happens eventually is Jacob runs away, but years later, he comes home after years of running away from his brother who was really mad at him, right? See, Jacob believes that Esau was still angry about losing the birthright. So Jacob thought Esau wants to kill him. And so again, Jacob, just like his name indicates, tries to manipulate his brothers. First, he sends gifts of slaves, money, and cattle. He even sends family, hoping that Esau would not be angry anymore. Maybe Jacob thinks he can appeal to Esau's greed so that Esau won't want to kill him anymore. But each time Jacob sent another gift, Esau made no reply, and that made Jacob anxious. He just didn't know what to do. And it was then that God came as an angel and wrestled with him. And they wrestled all day into the ne- the, through the night into the next day, right? Now, why am I starting here? Because we're talking about Revelation 7, 9. Here's why. Here's what you needed to know. This sets that you have to understand this before you can understand, I think, what's going on in Revelation 7, 9. See, here's a, here's a problem. Jacob is a sinner because he looks like Satan, 
Satan is the original deceiver, isn't he? So when Abraham shows up on the scene, what's Abraham's problem? He lies about his wife. Tell everyone you're my sister. Isaac has the same problem. He goes to Gerard, the city of Gerard, and he tells his wife, tell everyone you're my sister. Jacob's name literally means liar, right? And so what happens is God has to find a way to take the people of God who look more like Satan, and he has to get them to start looking like God. And how does God do it with Jacob? He changes his name right? Okay, so what happens is this. Um, Jacob fights by lying, by deceiving. That's how he works, right? But here's the point. You don't have to live this way anymore, Jacob. And what did God get? What did God do in order to convince Jacob that he doesn't need to fight through life this way? He told him that I'm going to fight for you. Here's where this is going, right? Jacob cha- Jacob's name gets changed from Jacob to Israel, right? Israel in Hebrew, it's a compound word. You know what a compound word is, doghouse, right? You guys get it. So Israel is a compound word of two words. The first word is sarah, which means to fight. And the second word is el, which means God, right? So most people, they're going to tell you that it's, it, Israel means the one who fights with God, the one who struggles with God. But here, uh, I'm convinced that that's actually wrong. Because Samuel, the L is at the end of the name, right? Samuel, Shema El. Shema means to listen. El means God. Samuel means God listens. Daniel means God judges. So if we're going to be consistent, Israel doesn't mean the one who fights with God. It means God fights. God is your fighter. God fights for you. When you are in trouble... God fights for you when you're hurting in this world where it seems like you're not going to get by without fighting. God fights for you. Why can Jacob put down his weapon, which is deceiving? That's his weapon in this world, to fight. It's because someone else fights for him. God fights for you. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. Man, this this world, this city, couldn't it? It could use a lot more of that kind of talk, doesn't it? Right? Put your weapons down because God fights for you. Now, this is what God's trying to change uh, in in Jacob, right? Um, God is a warrior. The Lord is his name, right? Now, um, I used to be a youth pastor, uh, and uh, I, was, I was in New Jersey as a youth pastor for the better part of six years, right? Uh, ten years, ultimately. And I remember um, uh, one time there was a, a youth group student who, who, he didn't have many friends in the youth group. We tried everything, but he just couldn't seem to make friends. He had trouble bonding. I was the only one I think he talked to, and he barely spoke to me. So one day he decided to enlist in the Navy, and, and he loved the Navy, apparently. So what had happened was one year after I was, I was not the youth pastor anymore, I'm the adult pastor now at this church, and he comes back from his, uh, his, uh, t- his duty. And, and we have dinner, and in the course of the dinner, he starts sharing his anxiety about leaving the military because his enlistment is up. You see, what had happened was the military gave him a sense of belonging, that he was part of something larger than himself. It also gave him a sense of camaraderie, brotherhood, that every person he served next to considered themselves a family, a brother 
a sister who you would fight for and if necessary would die for. That's military, right? And then he asked me, Pastor Joe, how, how am I ever going to find such a thing once I leave the Navy? Right Now, it turns out he's not the only one who feels that way. When I checked online, I found out that in 2019, the Navy's reenlistment rate was 71%, right? That means all these people, after they're done their term, they go back. Now, the Army's in reenlistment is even higher, 82%. Go Army, beat Navy. People re-enlist because they found a sense of calling, purpose, and family that was so great they were willing to forego the freedoms and comforts of civilian life. And that's a great thing. I I don't want to poo-poo that. If they found that there, praise the Lord. That's a great thing. I hope everyone finds those things. But don't you find it a little bit disturbing that there are so many people who feel like they can't find that in society? when we're here. See, God is a warrior who fights for us. If God were a carpenter, all his children would be carpenters, right? If God were a physician, all his children would be doctors. But in these passages that I'm talking about, Jacob, and even this one, we're going to get to that in a second, God is a warrior. That means his children are warriors. And what do you call a body of people who are all warriors? You call it an army, right? You call it an army. Um, Those who put our faith in Christ have the right to be called children of God. We are now family, not just family, but a family of fighters, and we are an army. You see that here? In, in, In Greek, the word for church is ekklesia, and in the Old Testament, the Septuagint translation, every time the, uh, the Septuagint uses the word ecclesia, which means church. It uses it to translate the word for army. What is the church? It's the army of God. You see, so what, what's going on here then? The entire seventh chapter of Revelation is actually a census or a roll call of an army that is falling into order because they have been called. They're answering the call of God. So when it says 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Rudin, from Gad, from Asher, from Naphtali, so on and so forth, what's going on is it's a roll call. Who is going to answer the call? By the way, that's why churches are set up the way that they are in the West. Right? Notice there's two columns here. The columns are supposed to be representative as if you were two columns of an army. That's that's really what's going on. Now, here's the army of God. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that he would have a multitude of children and that his children would be a blessing to all the families of the world, right? And what does it say here? After I looked and behold, what does he see? a great multitude. This is what's going on. So we are the family of God. That's what the Bible says. We're the family of God who in Romans, it says we were grafted in to this line. We are the ones who have been given this covenantal mission to be a blessing to all nations. How? By being nice? That's not, that's part of it. That's, that's part of it. Being kind? Absolutely, that's part of it but by taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel where God fights for us, 
to the ends of the earth. So as far as the curse is found, this is what we take to fight with it. Our, our weapons are not the weapons of the world. They are weapons that God has given us, spiritual weapons, weapons that inspire not violence, but this idea that we, we operate not by, we win. How do we fight? Not by strength, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. A spirit that doesn't say, hey, let's kill people, let's hurt people in order to get our way. It says, Abba, Father, in everyone that it inhabits. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, um, if, so this family, the family of warriors that I'm talking about is Abraham himself, despite his age, became a great warrior. You remember you read the Abraham story? What happens at the end? Abraham's a warrior. He's fighting. He's literally marching off, leading his tribe into battle. What did I tell you? If you're a carpenter, your children become carpenters. Abraham, his children are warriors. They're warriors. See that? It's a kind of army. One more time. We who have put our faith into Christ have been grafted into this family, a multitude of children that are on display in this chapter a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, tongue, standing before the throne of God, clothed in white, worshiping our king with palm branches while crying out, blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The first African-American, I, I, but let me start this. When I became Christian, uh, Presbyterian, the, uh, I went to a Korean church, so I only saw Korean pastors. I only knew Korean ministry. And the first time I ever saw an African-American pastor who came and guest spoke for us, he noticed how Koreans were all, like, insular. We only keep to ourselves. In the library, we're always sitting in that same spot, all the Koreans in a row, right? See that? That was true in seminary. You're in seminary. Only the Koreans stood in the first row, except for Willie James. <laughs> he, he was an African-American. He, 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 he just hung out with us because he didn't care. You see, but here's the thing. I remember this pastor, I'll never forget this. He, he looked it up and he started his message like this. He said, I want you all to know that there's not going to be a Korean heaven. <laughs> but it's true, amen? Amen. So when they say things like, like 10 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America, there's something wrong with that. Why? Because God's army, the ecclesia, the church of God, is every tribe, every tongue, right? Amen. Every nation. And here, here's what that means. So, so here, one last thing. Uh, I'm going to give you one more illustration of that. So I just read a, a, an article by Richard Mao, who used to be the president of Fuller Seminary in California. And he said this, that we need to start taking our baptism seriously. See, the reason that we baptize babies, there's a lot of reasons, but the reason we do it, right, is to say that if you're baptized into this army, that means we are obligated to you as if you were our own family. And that obligation starts not from the moment you become a member, like, you know, adult, right, so on and so forth. It's from the moment you were born, before you're born, from the womb to the tomb, we are obligated to you. You see that? And so what happens when you get married, a covenant, it's a covenant relationship. What happens to one happens to the other. If my wife's hurting, I'm hurting. If my wife's rejoicing, I'm rejoicing, because that good thing happened to me too. And in baptism, something similar happens. When you hurt, I hurt, and vice versa. But when you win, I win too. Where does that come from? It's Jesus, who, when you get saved, you get united to Christ. And what that means is, whatever is true of the Messiah, 
is true of you as well. If Jesus is holy, we are holy too with his holiness. If Jesus is righteous, we are righteous too because of his righteousness. And when Jesus died, we died too. But here's the thing. When Jesus won, we won too. And where does that start? It starts from the understanding that Christ was on that cross fighting for you. Do you believe it or don't you? Do you believe it or don't you? And when you do believe it, put down your own weapons and pick up different kinds of weapons, right? See that? Spiritual weapons, because our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this world. And that's, that's the Christian army. That's the Christian warrior. That's how we fight, right? So when Adam and Eve sinned, the curse of sin covered the entire world. But in Jesus, we have a gospel that rolls back that curse as far as the curse is found. And what does God use to carry that gospel to the ends of the earth? He uses his army, an extended family of God. In a church, we have a calling to be part of something larger than just ourselves. In a church, we are given purpose to roll back the curse of sin with the gospel. In church, we have a camaraderie and brotherhood, family, where we, Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens, Philippians 2.4, and look to the interest of others as we do our own. The church is God's army who is loyal only to Jesus as our king. Wouldn't it have been nice if, if, I don't want to bust on that priest from like my, my past but gosh, wouldn't it have been nice if we have a church where instead of fighting with each other, we fight for each other for the glory of God. May we be that kind of church. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Can you take a moment to pray and reflect on that, right? Why, why are we so anxious that we want to fight with one another? Why is it that we are filled with so much anxiety because we feel like we're, some catastrophe is going to happen? You see, if, if, can we start from, hey, God really does fight for you. And if God fights for you, then as his children, maybe we should stop fighting with each other and start fighting for one another that God may be glorified in the unity we have in our families and our church. Can we pray for that for just a moment? That God, let me know how much of a fighter you are. And in turn, God, help me to fight for the right things with the right weapons. Help us to fight that God would be glorified in our lives. Can we pray like that just for a moment, right? Father, thank you for loving us that while we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. Thank you, God, for, for choosing us 
that even though you knew our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins, you still chose us anyway. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus, who endured the humiliation and suffering on the cross. But for the joy set before him, he kept going. God is our fighter. Help us, Lord, then, to put away our anxiety, to put away our weapons, to put away our anger, our, our, our bitterness, and help us to see that even when we can't see it, even our worst moments, even when we felt most abandoned by the people who should have been fighting for us, but they didn't, God fights for us. And then help us in turn to model Christ that we are being made into the image of Christ more and more each day. And therefore, help us, Lord, to fight for others who need someone to fight for them. Oh, God, that maybe the world keeps wanting to pick up its own weapons. We'll be able to put them down because they see a church where something something that gives them a higher purpose, something fighting for it, something bigger, larger than themselves, a sense of camaraderie, brotherhood, family, that they may be able to see the church as an extended family that's fighting for your glory. Help us, Lord, then, to be that kind of church, that kind of people, starting in our own lives and families, but extending out to everyone who needs it. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and fighting for us. In Jesus' name we pray.